at Pearson, the world's learning company, we're all about supporting lifelong learning. And as we all know, one of the best ways to learn is from each other. That's why we asked almost 7,000 teachers and senior leaders in England about schools today and what their future should look like. In our brand new Pearson School Report, you'll discover what they had to say on the topics that matter, from the barriers to learning that we need to break down, to evolving what students learn and how. Whether you're looking for a different perspective or to spark new ideas, there's something in the report for you. Read more at go.pearson.com forward slash the school report and join the conversation on social media with the hashtag Pearson School Report. She kind of just left probably from her own trauma of it all and upset and stuff and so I haven't seen her really since. And the thing is now, like the generation we're in now, like people just look at highlights. You know, love's a strong word, I don't love them, but you know, we get on really, 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 really well um, as a family unit now. But back then, you know, with people you don't really want to be with. I didn't get picked for England for four years from my second to third cap. Uh, that was incredibly tough. I had to do a lot of things to get back there. I hate the I hate the saying enjoy the journey because you don't you don't enjoy it. No one enjoys the low moments, but the stuff you have to do. No one enjoys getting out of bed when it's still dark, and no one enjoys that. You just got to get through it. Hello and welcome to the Olympic mindset. Join us as we explore stories from elite individuals and learn what it takes to be a leader. The Olympic Mindset Podcast welcomes you to a network of inspirational individuals and signposts what it takes to succeed. We will take this opportunity to map the mindset of Olympium and apply these learnings to each of us. Thanks for joining me at the Olympic Mindset Podcast. Hello and welcome to part two of the Olympic Mindset Podcast with Mike Brown. Last week's episode, we covered his time with England, his exit with the Harlequins, and his idea for what truly makes a high-performing team. In this week's episode, we cover Mike's personal life and what it really took to become a professional rugby player. I won't talk for too long in the build-up to today's episode. If you've enjoyed these interviews with Mike, please leave some feedback wherever you receive your podcast, completely free of charge. Thanks for joining me at the Olympic Mindset Podcast. Before today's episode begins, I wanted to take a moment of your time to talk to you about our latest partner. Today's episode is brought to you by ClassVR from Avantis Education. ClassVR is an award-winning, all-in-one VR and AR system for schools. It's designed specifically to help raise student engagement and increase knowledge retention. I was first introduced to ClassVR back in 2017 when I was a deputy head teacher, and it provided me with creating exceptional learning environments. And it has done for more than 1 million students in over 100,000 classrooms in 90 countries across the globe. ClassVR is unique in that it was designed from the ground up solely for education. Headsets are classroom ready with everything an educator needs to deliver fully immersive VR and AR learning experiences to their students. And with thousands of curriculum-led resources, your children can walk with dinosaurs, hold a beating heart in their hands or travel the world without leaving the classroom. Now, regular listeners will know that I'm a passionate educator and I'm lucky enough to have experienced ClassVR firsthand in my classroom. 
and I can't tell you how wonderful it was to witness when my students were truly engaged in their learning. Class VR empowers teachers to inspire the leaders of tomorrow. If you're interested, visit classvr.com to learn more. Thanks for listening. Right, I want to talk about the major championships, your Six Nations success, the Grand Slam. Very few players have actually been fortunate enough to win that. As a Welshman, we've won quite a lot, yeah, to be fair, yeah. so it must have been nice. <laughs> but joking aside, you know, what does it feel like to win a major championship? Talk us through that range of emotions. How does it feel to get to that point where you're like, yes, we're the best? Yeah, like the Grand Slam was unbelievable because for me, as someone that had grown up since the age of five, watching that tournament, so it was showing my age, it was five nations back then. Now it's the Six Nations. Growing up, what, yeah, growing up watching that first and foremost as a as a fan, then watching it as a player that was in the Premiership but wanting to be part of it, and then someone that had played in it but hadn't won it, like you know, it's, it's second to the World Cup, isn't it? It's like a mini World Cup, like it, you know, you're you're able to etch yourself in that history of of that tournament. So to be able to do that, and then we had the added thing of it being straight after that disappointing World Cup for a large number of us to kind of stick two fingers up. I don't know if I'm allowed to say that. Stick two fingers up to people that had absolutely hammered us in the press, you know, from other countries, our own countries. Um, and that's individually and collectively. Um, we were able to do that and bounce back and all that emotion afterwards to do with that, you know, made it even more special. Um yeah, so just to do that, like as a, as a rugby fan who'd grown up watching it, was like, yeah, amazing. Does that negativity from the press or on social media have an impact? And and how hard is it to blank it out? Yes, for me it did because I don't think I dealt with it well because I came from uh, a time when we didn't have it. Again, showing my age, especially social media. You stopped going on about age. We're the same age as making it feel bad. <laughs> but you know, what I mean, it, you know. We weren't of a of an age where we'd had it for long and understood it, um, understood how to deal with it as sports people. Words weren't really talked about, so I didn't deal with it very well. And then you get into a cycle of looking at it too much and all that sort of stuff. And then towards the back end, you kind of ignore it completely because you think that's the way to do it, delete all the apps. But you're never going to get away from it because someone will go to you, oh, have you heard what they said? Or someone will mess you while you're in camp where you're so insular and the only thing you're thinking about is your performance and you think that's the biggest thing in the world and it really isn't when you step away from it. Someone will message you going, oh, did you hear what Blah Blah just said about you? Or, oh, I can't believe they said that about you. Or, oh, look at this article. And you're like, yeah, nice one. Thanks for that. <laughs> and then when you're in that environment where you're hiding away and you're in your room on your own and you're overthinking everything like I did, that is not good either. So what I should have done um, is probably addressed it some way, found someone to help address it um, or help me come up with coping mechanisms to uh, to kind of get over it because I don't think I dealt with it very well, especially when I was probably uh, once I'd established myself in the England team and probably the Grand Slam sort of time onwards, you know, when people like to knock you down um, as a player or as a team. That's probably when I was affected the most, um, found it hard, the hardest, because I I wasn't I wasn't the kind of sexy thing to talk about anymore. I wasn't the new player on the block. 
you know, there was other new fullbacks that they wanted to push because that's what creates, you know, the conversations and stuff like that. So every little thing, it felt like people were picking up on. Um, so I wish I'd been able to deal with that better. Um, is probably the answer. I mean, you talk about the, a decline in, in visibility and a decline in being spoken about. Danny Cipriani had quite a severe drop-off. You know, I think alongside you was seen as the, the golden boy of that era. And, you know, I know you, you might feel this way, but you were certainly around a hell of a lot longer and had a lot more success, it seemed. So what what do you think happened there with Danny? Because he was built up a lot by the press. Do you think it was the press's doing or was there other things going on or was it just the culture at, in rugby at the time wasn't right for somebody like him? Cool, it's a lot. It's probably a lot of everything, I think. Um... I love Danny. Like I get on with him really well, and he's always been really good to me. So um, I really like him, and there's place for people like him. He's very different to me, like very different. Like he is, he's he's super confident in his own ability, and rightly so. Like he's he's unbelievable talent. Um, but in terms of, I think I, you know, I don't I don't know what goes on in his head, but he's not a worry about certain things that I would. I worry about things that you don't need to worry about, or he's not one for sticking to strict schedule and timing and it stresses me out whereas I'm like I have to have a plan a schedule stick timings know what I'm doing otherwise I get stressed out um you know he's very chilled and that sort of thing um and and that's and and stuff like that and I think probably rugby wasn't ready for someone like him as well. So it takes a certain type of leader to probably get the best out of him. Like he needs to feel like he's contributing in terms of probably running an attack the way he wants to run an attack. And it would need a leader to allow him to do that with guidance and support and, and things like that. But give him that responsibility, let him do it because he can do it unbelievably well anyway. But there's probably a lot of leaders with bigger egos that wouldn't want that and feel comfortable with that. So it takes someone to be comfortable in their skin to do that. So I think you get more of those hopefully now. Um, but yeah, like a story with him. So I was in World Cup camp with him in 2015 and um, we were allowed to train with Margot Wells, who I referenced earlier, because um, we'd both been doing it for so many years and they, they, you know, it worked for us. That's why we were there because we played well and that's, a big part of that. So they allowed us, you know, certain slots within the schedule to go and do little um, top up bits with her. So like speed or in the gym, things like that stuff that we'd always been doing that allowed us to perform that were, the way we'd been performing, which was great on their behalf, by the way, because she was only down the road, like half an hour away. So, <laughs> so me being, you know, scheduled planned, um, I knew exactly how long the session would be, so I knew what time we needed to leave to get there at the right time to be able to get back to the next thing. He wasn't driving at the time. I think he was banned for whatever he'd done. Um, yeah. So I was the taxi driver. So I was like, right, Danny, in the car park at, I don't know, 12.30. We're leaving dead on 12.30. I'm there at like 12.20, ready to go. Car, car engine running, you know, ready to go. Right, twelve twenty nine. Danny, uh, yeah, ready to go. Yeah, you coming? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll be there in a minute. Be there in a minute. I'm, all right, okay, okay. Ten minutes goes past. Ring him again, Danny. I'm going to leave in a minute. Like I'm getting stressed here. We're not going to have time. Yeah, yeah. I'll be there in a minute. Another ten minutes goes past. I'm like, right, I'm going. 
And basically, in Penny Hill Park, it's this long drive to the, from the main road to the to the um, to the main hotel, like long, long drive. And just off the drive before you get the main hotel is the car park. So I'm coming out of the car park. He's coming from the main hotel down this long drive. And I pull out, literally about to wheel spin and go. And I see him walking. And like, honestly, this walk, you couldn't get more casual if you tried. Like, it's literally, you can imagine it just like, yeah, bag over shoulders, kind of looking around. He's playing with his phone. I'm there like beeping, window down, beeping, engine running. I'm like, would you think hurry up? Like, <laughs> screaming out. He's like, yeah, 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 I'm coming, I'm coming. Doesn't even break into a jog or anything like literally strolled all the way there and I'm fuming driving the whole way like people who know me can imagine what I'd be like they're just like seething inside like oh fuck um we get there we get our session done he hardly does anything in the session anyway and I'm there the whole session just wound up like looking at him like oh. and then um drive back and I'm like mate I'm le- like I'm leaving dead on this time like if you if you don't come the next time I'm gone I still don't think he made it on time, but I think he was a bit better than that. But yeah, he was. So we're so opposite, but you know. But there's a lot to be said for discipline, right? And and sticking to things. And you've alluded to this earlier, where you said about like your upbringing and your dad giving you advice on the waistcoat, and even the fact that we we grew up in an environment where there was no social media. I think I'm massively interested in nature versus nurture, uh, particularly since I've become a dad. Um, obviously, you've got kids and, and one on the way. Good luck with that one. Oh. Your little one will be here by the time this airs, so congratulations. Honestly, I've had it for the last five weeks, so... Yeah, I can imagine. So if you look back at, you know, nature versus nurture and your childhood and the way you were brought up, what what was it there that fueled you to become the kind of person you are and and, and do you think drove you to the success that you had? Um, I think there's a nature side. Like, I think my dad's like that as well. Um, He was a fireman and he always seemed... He always seemed to work unbelievably hard. He he ended up like a um, station officer, so um, running the fire station and stuff. And he worked unbelievably hard on that. And it, you know he he'd work unbelievably hard on, on other bits that he would do. Um, <clears throat> so he was obviously driven, um, and he I think he would would have been scheduled and planned and stuff like that, like I am. Um, so there's that side. But I think yeah, I think just learning what works for me along the way um in terms of being driven i think i think i became more driven when i was about 16 i think and i think a bit of trauma in terms of what happened in in my life and my parents divorcing and stuff with my mum i won't go i won't get bore you and go into it but i think that sort of trauma thinking back now reflecting now drove me wanting to be a success and that side of things. I think um, the more opportunities that came my way, the more I didn't want to let people down, the more I wanted to take those opportunities and make the most of it. The more I realized I wasn't very good at much else than rugby. (laughs) So when I was, so when I was given the opportunity of um, going to the Queens Academy, I was like, I'm looking around at guys that are at Millfield School, like Chris Wobshaw, and guys that have been in since they were like 15 in the school academy. I'm like 18 at this point coming in, looking at those guys playing at rugby schools, and I'm like, I've come from a school that's not played rugby. I've played, you know, at my grassroots team. Like, I've got a huge opportunity here to to play for a premiership club and make this kind of my job. So I'm going to, like, literally 
give everything to to this opportunity. You know, so like I'm saying before, out competing everyone, out working everyone. I'm looking across. So I reference Chris Robshaw because in that group, he was probably the hardest working person there. So I'd always be looking over, right, what's he doing? Okay, he's doing extras, right, I'm going to do this extras. Or I'd start doing extras because I want to be, you know, see, you know, I want to be doing more than they're doing. Um, we'd have conversations with each other. Oh, did you do extra fitness today? Yeah, yeah, yeah I did, I did. Oh, what did you do? Oh, yeah, I did this. Uh, you know, we'd be doing that to each other. Um, so we kind of hold each other to account in a, in a weird way, not that you're thinking about that, but you just want to know, right, I'm making the most of this opportunity. So that's what I did, really. Um, so that drove, that gave me the drive. But I just did, I think it was just a fear of like failing and being a failure. And Do you have a fear of failure? No, I think like that fear. So you were driven by the, the, the desire to not lose. Yeah, like not lose, like the fear of not getting that next contract in the in the academy, not getting a first team contract. Right, I'm in the first team now, fear of not um, getting selected. Oh, I've been selected, right, fear of not losing my place. Um, that's probably why I've played so many times at Quinns. Like I would never allow injuries or things to stop me training or playing because I was like, oh, I'm going to lose my place. Like I'm not going to let anyone take my, my place. So the fear of that, same with England, fear of losing my place. And then same with my transition now, like I'm so driven to make it a success because I don't want, I, I have that fear of just being that ex-player who only achieved in his playing career or, you know, being looked upon as a bit of a failure in your next your next um thing that you do and you know i'm driven to to be successful in that wherever i end up because i, I want to be i guess have success in that i don't know like it's just that fear of not not having that which drives me on i'm quite glad you raised it actually and i know it's probably uncomfortable for you so thanks for doing so because you might not feel like this with your imposter syndrome but outwardly you're an extremely successful man you've got this larger than life personality to hear you talk about things like imposter syndrome and struggling with confidence, then to raise the the fact that you experience trauma, I think it's quite reassuring for kids listening. So, I mean, honest as you feel comfortable being, how did that trauma shape you and how did you overcome it? As you've probably noticed, I'm very interested in underpinning and challenging my approach using research. Now, There are lots of great sources out there to read, but two that have really been both interesting and useful in shaping my strategic thinking are the Pearson School Reports. Following the conversations from the 2022 edition, the brand new Pearson School Report 2023 is here. They've asked thousands of us teachers and 1,000 students about school life in England today and what the future should look like, from the barriers to learning that we need to break down to how teachers and students are leading the way and pioneering genuine change. If you're a teacher or leader working in the profession right now, there's something in the report for you. Read more at go.pearson.com forward slash the school report and join the conversation on social media using the hashtag Pearson School Report. I can honestly say that this report has really helped to shape my thinking around the challenges I will face over the next three to five years. I hope you find this report as useful as I did. If you did, let me know via social media or LinkedIn. Back to the episode. So like, um, so that trauma was, was my parents divorcing and then other stuff that went along with it. Um, and then, not that this is so much trauma, but then you end up, um, my dad then remarries and then you end up with another family, which isn't really your family and forced to kind of like be part of that family with three stepbrothers 
um and a sister older sister and it's like carnage and and that for me was was a very tough period i think it knocked me confidence wise which probably is still part of me now which definitely is still part of me now and and other things so um it's part of the probably reason why i lack confidence um in at, at, um in certain things and imposter syndrome and probably don't have confidence in myself as much as I should do. Um, probably the reason why I see things glass half empty rather than half full sometimes. Um, so it impacted me quite a lot. Um, I think rugby helped get over it. Um, yeah, because that gave me kind of a, a, a drive. And, and, and that was actually around that age I was talking about, you know, that, that drive, that working towards something that passion um for something um allow me to focus on something um but yeah it was tough like yeah you know we had to move house we had to like i said move in with other people that you, you don't like 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 you know it's all well and good with them now but like you know love's a strong word i don't love them but you know we get on really 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 well um as a family unit now but back then you with people you don't really want to be with Right, like you, we want to be thrown together. And as kids, you kind of have to just go with what the parents want you to do and move to where you want to do. And it was my side that had to move to to my stepmom's side, which was tough. You know, we moved from right being right near the school, near town, to out in the sticks where you, there was one bus every hour. You know, it's, it's not it's not a big thing, but for us, it was because it was so different. You know, we moved into a house that needed huge work from a house that didn't need work. You know, moved from a house that was uh, maybe three, three bed house, like, you know, the, the nice house to a house in the country, which was like falling to bits. We hardly had hot water, like no heating at points. Like, um, but honestly, until the work was done on it, which took ages upstairs there was no individual rooms it was one big room so me my older sister and my dad slept in the same room like like it wasn't horrendous but like we'd gone from something very different with with my mum so it was a massive change um and hard to deal with so I think that ends up how could you manage that relationship with your mum then if she wasn't with you anymore well that that's the kind of the other thing like um she kind of just left probably from her own um, trauma of it all and upset and stuff. And so I haven't seen her really since. So she's, I know she's popped up at a few games when I started playing for, for Quinns, which kind of didn't go that, that well for me because I was like, you can't just pop up now. Do you know what I mean? So you have that kind of thoughts in your head, but I'm sure it was, you know, got to see it from her point of view. I'm sure it was incredibly tough back then. And she did what she did for whatever reason, which I, you know, I don't agree with. But yeah, so I haven't seen her since. So that adds to that side of it as well. And it wasn't like we talked about it. So it's like you're kind of carrying all that on your own. Um, and then my sister moved out um, when she was quite young. She was dealing with it a lot different, differently to me and worse than me, I think. So she she became the um, the wild child black sheep. She was she's eighty months older, yeah. So whereas I was just turned into the flipping um, nervous, worried, well, 
not not golden boy at that point, but just you know, just quiet and you know, kind of got on with it. And she went off being the wild child. So then I'm on my own again because I'm like I'm with my three step brothers, but you know, I've not got my sister anymore. Um, so that was hard. Um, and then, but you've come through it, you know. When, yeah. And I think the the inspirational thing to hear, mate, is by the way, thanks for talking about that because I can appreciate it was uncomfortable. But there's a lot of people listening, and it's quite reassuring to hear that somebody else has been through a period of difficulty and come out the other side. And you've got a lovely family, you've got a lovely home, you've had an amazing career. You seem like a really humble, nice guy, and it's just nice, I think, for others to see people like you forging a roadmap from a place of difficulty. Yeah. Yeah, it's um, I just I'm just a big believer of, like everyone goes through massive lows and 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 highs. Hopefully at some point as well. But I think when you hit those lows, and look, there's people that have had way worse lows than me, right? So it's easy again for me to say, but I just think you've just got to meet it head on, be resilient, deal with it. Whether that means going to speak to people, going to reaching out to people, that's massively important. Reach out to people so they can help you if you need help getting over it, but, you know, don't bottle it up too much, but also just start leaning into trying to get over it maybe with something else, another purpose, another focus, um, you know, a hobby, uh, you know, give yourself a goal of getting fit, give yourself a goal of, oh, I'm going to do this. You know, even give yourself a goal of, you know, just getting out of bed and having a having a schedule, right, I'm going to get out of bed today, I'm going to make my bed, I'm going to, I'm going to hit the ground running at 7am and then I'm, have my breakfast by 8am I'm going to read a book I don't know little things like that and just try and get over it that way and and then that will lead to another good discipline another good habit and then that will lead into something else and then that leads into something and then it snowballs after that I think where people may struggle is when they don't lean into it and, and go into it head on and just go oh I can't do it I'm not going to do anything and then you know and then you go down holes and rabbit holes and and, and places that you really don't want to go. Um, but if you are, if you really are struggling, I just think it's so important. And I've not been that good at it until recently is go and speak to someone because there's a, everyone can speak to someone, you know, there's always someone for someone for, for everyone. And I, I, I truly believe that. No, it was well, well said, really well said. How has all of this affected your attitude to parenthood? My wife's the strict one, to be fair. I'm really shocked to hear that from everything you've said about your personality. Though. But she's very much like me, though, like like, like um, discipline, schedule, plan. So that's probably why I work quite well. But she's more, she's more disciplined than me with, I'm a bit more of a soft touch sometimes. But in terms of parenting, um, look, it's hard, right? Because... I've been so lucky with the career I've had that's allowed us to live a certain way of life and live where we live. Unbelievably amazing area. We love it here. We're so lucky where we live. So lucky with the house we live in. So lucky with what we've been able to do in terms of holidays or, you know, what we had to, were able to give him, you know, toys and all that sort of thing. So it's so hard to then try and make them understand this is not normal like this is this has come from a certain thing so that's what I want to make sure I kind of remind him as he's growing up is all this you see has come from me and your mum doing this you know working hard you know in my career it's good for me that I can show him something you know um quite significant 
do you know what I mean? You know, this, you know, this shirts and stuff I can show him and all that sort of medals and things like that. Well, I bet he's going to be buzzing when he first Googles you and shows you to his mates. I did show him a clip once. He was not bothered one bit. Like, he tried to be like the big man and be like, yeah, yeah, come look at this, come look at this. And he was not bothered. He's getting more into it now. Um, but, you know, I'm very lucky. I'm very lucky I get to show him like shiny medals and things and and then explain to him how I got that and, you know, what hard work can give you. So that's important to me. I don't care. I don't care what he does as long as whatever he does, he's committed and hard working with it um so that's that's probably the most important thing to me and then the other side of it which is important to both me and my wife is making sure that he had good values in terms of respectful good manners you know kind to people um whoever they are those sort of things so we really hammer we really hammer the manners um and being kind and and stuff like that, especially the manners, like, you know, I, the amount of times of, you know, I have to call him up and pick him up on saying please and thank you. Honestly, it's like, it is soul destroying. But actually, when you hear another parent go, oh, he's so polite, it makes you feel so nice. But then you're like, why can't you just say it when we're there? <laughs> because he says it in front of other people. But it's like he almost plays the game and he wants us to correct him all the time. But yeah, we're really, we're really hot on that because I think that's so important having manners um, and being kind. So, um, but yeah, hard, I, honestly, I think hard work is, underpins everything. Nice. So the last couple of questions for you, mate. Obviously, I've said this. We've we've not done this before, but because we've branched outside of the usual Olympians and athletes, you're the first rugby player we've spoken to. Um, so I wanted to hear what people had to say. And by the way, everyone was very complimentary. I was a little bit worried, I thought, because I've not done this sort of thing on yeah, social media. Oh, I thought, oh. Could go anywhere with that. So first question from a guy called Ben Goldsmith. He said, who was your biggest rival internationally on the pitch as a player and why? I didn't really see any individual as a, as a rival, if I'm honest. Like in my era with England, there were so many good fullbacks. I think... This might be quite controversial, but I think the list of fullbacks that I could give you from from all the teams that I played in on other countries would be far greater than the the ones that are are, are there now. So, like you got Willie Larue from South Africa, Ben Smith or Israel Dag from from um, New Zealand, Rob Kearney Ireland, Halfpenny, and then Liam Williams later on for Wales, um, uh, Stuart Hogg, who was. Um, just coming on the scene for Scotland. Um, France, they changed a few times, but they had Medar, for example, from Toulouse and a couple of others. Um, Australia, Israel, Falau. I mean, that's a joke list. And I think um, every time I went up against those guys, I just wanted to kind of prove, probably that fear of failure again, prove that I deserve to be on the same field as those sort of guys. So you want you kind of want to play better than your opposite number and you and you also always talk about in team talks you know if you individually play better than your opposite number and everyone does that as well in your team you're going to go you know most likely go and win so you just want to do that for your team which is incredibly tough when I just list out the players that I've just listed out so you did play the golden generation mind didn't you thinking back actually I was going honestly I was going through it in my head the other day and, and thinking about rugby and the fullbacks now like that list but not just because they were unbelievably gifted rugby players and you know um had unbelievable x factor 
they their basics of a fullback, which I'm hot on, which I think people uh, watching the game or talking about the game, punditry or playing the game, forget is so important. You know, high ball, one-on-one tackling, counter-attack, decision-making from the back, so your team not under pressure. Those guys were unbelievable, all those, all those basics. Well, the analogy I would give me is in football, people don't consider how good a goalkeeper is until he starts leaking goals. Because as an attacker, if you know you've got a good defence or a good, good goalkeeper you can rely on, then it gives you so much freedom to go forward and attack. But you saw that with England in, in the World Cup, possibly not too confident with their back line and they can't press as high as they would like to. So, you know, same with the fullback, I'd imagine. Yeah, and, and, the, and the thing is now, like the generation we're in now, like people just look at highlights, so they just think, Fullback. Oh, it makes a one good long run. Oh, amazing, brilliant, which is great. But what about the high ball he dropped, the tackle he missed, and then the poor decision when he did try and run it the other time, got caught behind his team and turned over. Like they're way more important than one long run. But we love highlight reels now, and I think people forget how important the bases are in all positions. So that's what I look at. A fullback. That's why I like um, Freddie Stewart from from Leicester. Like obviously he's six foot five anyway, so the frame on him is an absolute joke. And I'd wish I'd have that extra five inches in height. It would have made high balls a lot easier for me. But um, you know his basics are so good, so then he can build off that. And and people would always say to me, it gave them confidence, like you said, because I'm at the back. Gave them confidence as soon as the ball was up over above their heads, they had that confidence that I would go and take it more often. Not or if there was a line break, they would. Just, you know, have confidence they could sprint back for the next phase because, you know, I would do everything I could to make that tackle or I wouldn't make poor decisions at the back that would put them under pressure. Um, so that was that was good for me to hear that from from those players because, um, you know, it made it all worthwhile. So, yeah, it was... Um, I didn't have one rival going back to it, one individual rival. I think the rivalry came with people like teams like Wales, for example. That's a rival because I've grown up that being a rival, you know, how much they don't like the English and want to beat them. It was the same, like I said, for me, you want to beat the the Welsh. But anyone I played against was a rival because they were trying to, trying to take away from what I wanted the England team to have, which was win. Um, so always a rival. It's an interesting point you made earlier when you said about people being obsessed with highlight reels. I think that's the problem with social media. Yeah, they don't see the pathway, do they? They don't see the pathway of, like I said, how, how someone's got there or or actually what's actually going on. So someone might have a nice car, but they might have, they might have rented it for an hour. <laughs> you know, things like that. Um, and I think off the back of that, people want things too quickly. So yeah, going back to young people now, they want stuff handed to them quickly. They don't want to go and work on a high ball for hours and hours and hours or um, so that they, then it's a super strength. They just want to, they want to get picked straight away and not have the, to go and deal with uh, all the other stuff that gets you picked, and I think as well, they the young lads that the the young lads that I've been involved in in teams, they just see you and they think, oh, you just got there, you've just been put in there as a starter or playing for England. You know, they don't realise, and they're like, oh, you, yeah, fine, you're selected every week, and you're playing. I'm like, yeah, yeah, but I was in your position. I didn't get picked for England for four years from my second to third cap. Uh, that was incredibly tough. I had to do a lot of things to get back there. You know, I wasn't get pick, picked for Quinns until I sorted my high bowl out. I didn't just get picked the next week. It took months. You know, they they forget about all that stuff. They just see you in that nice position and and want to be there as well. I hate the I hate the saying enjoy the journey because you don't. 
you don't enjoy it. Like no one enjoys going out in the pissing rain, catching eyeballs or, or doing extra training. No one enjoys like the low moments, but the stuff you have to do. No one enjoys getting out of bed when it's still dark and thinking, oh, I've got to go and do contact session today. No one enjoys that. But like, you just got to get through it. And, and something we always used to say as well through my career is just find a way. There's going to be days where you're just going to have to find a way to get your stuff done um, because it's so important. You're not going to turn up every day and be like, oh, yeah, this is amazing. I'm going to love every second of this, this day. You're not going to. You, we're humans, right? You're going to wake up after a bad night's sleep. You're going to wake up feeling sore. You're going to you're going to do a session you don't want to do, but you just got to find a way. Like, And I think that 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 relates to any walk of life i love that don't enjoy the journey it's not it's not it's not realistic is it like we're all going to do something at least one thing today we don't want to do yeah you're not going to enjoy doing it but it is part of the journey of to wherever you're going so just get it done <laughs> like just got to get it done and then and then there'll be something that you do love doing and then you'll enjoy that bit <laughs> <laughs> so would that be your advice to your younger self you know don't enjoy the journey stay humble stay hungry and, and go for it is that what you go back and say if you had to start again no, because I think I was I was all right with that. I just had an ability, I guess, or force myself to find a way to get it done. Like like I said, I was I would compete, and I wouldn't I didn't want to lose out on this opportunity, and probably through that fear of failure or getting deselected or not selected, or that would drive me to find a way of of getting stuff done. Like I didn't want to turn up early when I was in the academy and do kicking sessions, but I found a way to get it done yeah. because I knew like, that's what I needed to do. Um, I don't really like doing stuff and stuff in the in in the transition. Like this is a great thing, me and you chatting, but there's stuff with my uni or I don't know. I don't really want to drive four hours to go and see someone. But I know when I get there, I'm going to enjoy that bit and I'm going to learn loads. But um, yeah, I just I hate that saying. Where's the pain before the pleasure, isn't it? And it's like is eating the veg before you get to the dessert, mate. I've loved chatting to you. Thank you so much for your time today. No, I appreciate you having me. In. I'm glad we, I had something interesting to say. If you're still here at the end of the episode, thanks for joining me, Dominic Broad, at the Olympic Mindset Podcast, brought to you by Pearson, the world's learning company. I hope you've enjoyed this week's episode, and if you did, please make sure to spend just a little time to like or subscribe wherever you receive this podcast in order for me to continue to bring it to you completely free of charge. Until next time. And now, for inspiration and conversation of a different kind, Pearson, the world's learning company, is all about supporting lifelong learning. And, as we all know, one of the best ways to learn is from each other. That's why they've asked over 6,000 teachers and 1,000 students about schools in England today, and what the future should look like. In the brand new Pearson School Report, you'll discover the barriers to learning that we need to break down and how teachers and students are pioneering change. Whether you're looking for a different perspective or to spark new ideas, there's something in the report for you. Read more at go.pearson.com forward slash the school report and join the conversation on social media using the hashtag Pearson School Report.